Thank you for joining us today at Miniature Wargaming Labs, the podcast. My name is James, and today I'm joined by Josh of the Mech Bay podcast. What's going on, James? I'm doing fine, Josh. How are you doing today? I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> well, Josh, I brought you on because Battletech um, has, is enjoying a renaissance right now, and the Albuquerque area, uh, Battletech, has been popular uh forever for decades there are guys <laughs> who still have Ralph partha miniatures like iron winds is still too new for them they're oh, still wow. playing with uh so i have a couple of them here so their their miniatures are made of lead uh, the way god intended it to be uh, <laughs> <laughs> so i wanted to bring you on to talk about um battle tech and understanding if you're a new player you want to get into battle tech because you're at barnes and noble and you see the box set sitting there on the shelf um before we get started, let's let's try to prove your bona fides. Oh uh, no! How how did you get started into the miniature wargaming lifestyle? Oh man, miniature wargaming lifestyle. So I think what is it? Everyone starts either in Dungeons and Dragons or Warhammer, and of course I fall into the Warhammer Forty Thousand. I was order. a D and D. Good, yeah. good. Yeah. Everyone's everyone's one side of those coins. <laughs> yeah. um, but miniature wise, I was like the old school, like historicals, like, you know, P4, uh, what's it, Corsairs and other planes and cars, like as a kid. So getting to the miniature side wasn't too much of a stretch for me. And just growing up, and then, okay, now I actually want to start putting things on the table and like doing something with them as when I was an adult. So. I, there was a game store just down the road from me, and I was, what was it, on call every other day, kind of racking my brain, having to sit at work, and it was a mile away, and I was like, I can hang out there and still get, still be on call. So I go in, and I'm like, Warhammer 40,000. This is this is the, the, the blood for the blood god stuff, right? And like Everyone hears the memes, and I was like, so that's, that's how I got in, and it's just been a slow descent forward but also backward because it's like okay this is a relatively modern game but let's go older <laughs> i've heard some people describe battletech as a historical miniature game just because the game itself is so oh old. that that hurts <laughs> hey you you weren't there when it first started say hey look <laughs> 12 miniatures these look interesting <laughs> so what uh, what edition of warhammer did you join at? I got in pretty late in or middle, I guess you could say it a uh, seventh. So I haven't been around too long, but my total length of time I'd say is, you know, relatively short, but it was a hardcore every week or every weekend, essentially trying to do something with it. So I, okay. I definitely, definitely racked up the hours. Um, miniatures wise <laughs> well now now you're making me feel i thought you were going to say something like third or fourth i no I no that's the... i wasn't thinking seventh yeah i know everyone's like oh he must have been doing this a while no no i'm i'm relatively fresh to the like actually rolling dice and putting stuff on tables but well i think that's why um one of my favorite running jokes of your podcast the mech Bay podcast for anyone who's uh listening and interested um is like you do. You like to describe it as a Warhammer podcast disguised as a BattleTech podcast, <laughs> which I, I don't think is true in the nature of the information you give. But when it comes to what you're working on hobby wise, yeah, what, what I'm working on in hobby progress land, it's I always try to throw in a dash of BattleTech, so I'm not you know tarred and feathered in the streets. But um, uh, but I, I think that brings up a, a good point of. The nice thing about Battletech is that on the hobby side, you can be done so quickly compared to Warhammer. It, it's insane because I will spend a week and get done, you know, equivalent points slash armies wise that I would for a Warhammer thing that will take me years to get done and complete. So it's like Battletech is great for that. I want to sit down, do a project from start to finish, and it takes me days if that. <laughs> That uh, so let me ask you, what games uh do you play? So I know about Warhammer, know about BattleTech. Do you play any other ones? Those are my top two. I do have was it Drop Fleet Commander and Age of Sigmar, 
and I just got into, uh, what is it, five parsecs from home, so I could do some solo stuff. I'm trying to think. If there's, I've dabbled in some naval stuff, but I haven't found rules that I like for that, but I'm, I'm really just kind of go with the flow and find what I'm liking that year, essentially. So are you a new and shiny toy chaser? I don't, I wouldn't call myself a new and shiny toy, but like if I find that there's something in a rule set I like, I'll look for other things like that, that kind of scratch that same itch. Well, so that, that brings to me, um, we'll digress a little bit here, but no, what about fine. something like uh, weasel tech or um, horizon wars by Osprey gamma wolves? Cause I think we've talked about, could we buy gamma wolves and just use battle tech in that? <laughs> Uh, my co-host Dustin, he's assembling some Gamma Wolf stuff. I want to say probably within the last 24-hour period. So he's trying to push me in one direction. I'm trying to push him in other directions. Just peer pressure, tugging on my hobby time. Well, that, that's why uh, this. So the the whole miniature wargaming labs. The reason uh, Brian and I and some guys from the shop set it up was we we're looking at like. The, uh, the common travails of the uh, multi-gamer. So three mm-hmm. games plus. Because once you go over three <laughs> games, that, that means you have a problem. Oh, and no. There's, there's the usual problems you have is like, how do I make my existing collection fit new games that come out? It's like, how do I press my existing collection <laughs> into service? All right, because, somebody's uh, got to start double dipping here now. <laughs> yeah, that's... Well, it's like... Um, there is a finite li- when you're married. There's a finite <laughs> limit of how much space you can put against uh, a portfolio. Let's say, um, what kind of? So, do you play at a game store or do you play at home or both? Both, definitely. Uh, I'm in a relatively, you know, thankful area where there's game store like three or four game stores within 20 minutes of me. So, it. I'm if I'm looking for a game, I can find someone in the area who's willing to play that game. So, uh, of course, through the pandemic, home became a more necessary option, I guess. So, so do you do you have the uh, game shelter? I won't call it the man cave. The, the no, game it's shelter not where all your cave, babies can live safely in their shelves. <laughs> boxes, shoe boxes, toolboxes. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm kind of abusive to them. That's the problem. Um, no, I mean, I'm actually more set up to go mobile, like tables and rolls of, uh, like grass flocking and stuff like that. So modular terrain, so nothing's set up permanent. So everything can kind of change as it's necessary. I can take it to someone else's house if I'm really wanting to play there. All right. So since we're focused on Battletech here, why did you launch the podcast? What was that thought of like? you know what? I just can't keep this to myself anymore. Let me share my <laughs> thoughts with others. So I started the Mech Bay podcast mainly because I was an avid like Warhammer podcast listener. And I was like hungry for just listening to other people talk about things I liked. Like I've, I've dabbled in things that I don't even play just because I'm that desperate just to hear someone enjoying what they like and kind of telling me the intricacies of it. And for Battletech, there were only a few like either podcasts or YouTube channels, but nobody was really talking about like the content I wanted, which was actually like playing it. They were a lot of lore focused um, create content creators and stuff like that. Some that just delved onto like one specific type of model and ran that through from A to Z. I was like, I want to listen to people playing or talking about rolling dice while I'm not rolling dice. So when I am rolling dice, I've had like 24 hours of brain power devoted to rolling dice. And it, I just want to be immersed in the tank of it, essentially. You actually want to see the mechanics. Because I mean, yeah. podcast, you're not going to watch, a, you're not going to listen to a painting tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, it's just like when I'm driving, I, I want to turn off my brain and kind of like think about what I'd be doing. Like, improving my gameplay or is there something that I'm doing and not actually realizing this is the right way to do it or what's new in you know the hobby section of Battletech that's not really being talked about because it is an older game I mean it's what 30 plus years at this point and the information is just 
a, a smear across the internet and source books and stuff that no one's really like kind of collected in one place. And I was like, well, for like Warhammer podcasts, they're talking about the new things that people are rolling today. You know, for Battletech, if you try looking that up, you'll get something from 2008 talking about the new rule. And well, I was like... Yeah. <laughs> so that that is actually something I wanted to bring up to you because so I've made mention that in Albuquerque we have a large Battletech community mm-hmm. which is assisted by the one of the guys running uh, Etten Games, Sean you know he is a hardcore believer in it like um, like when the Kickstarter came out I think he bought like four merchant packs oh wow so like <laughs> When people were running out of Battletech stuff because no one realized how wildly popular it would be, mm-hmm. he had plenty because he didn't care if it sold or not. He was just happy to surround himself by with stacks of Battletech starter boxes. But what I found is when you get that starter box and you open it up and you put it together and you start going into these older gaming groups, like guys who are still playing with like their Ralpartha or their Iron <laughs> Wind medals guys... And, you know, you've read the rule book and you sit down and play with them. Some of the rules don't seem right. And what you realize is that there haven't been that many changes to the basic Battletech rules over the decades. No. I mean... And they never say first edition, second edition, third edition, but they do change rules. But since some people like didn't like the clan invasion and they punch out of the rule set and they keep playing the same rules, there's no actual language of saying, oh, I'm playing... Battletech first edition, don't bring your ECCMs in here or your targeting computers. Or if you're a new player, it's like, wait, there were previous editions? How long has this game been going on? So it actually becomes very difficult to like source through all the different owners of the companies, all the different rule sets and rule changes that have been made, especially when you run into legacy players. And that's what I like about your podcast is um, there are some episodes you'll dedicate just to a time period. Like let's talk about the civil war. Or let's talk about the different clans and their mechs. No, thank you. I mean, that is a big difference between Battletech and something else. Like, of course, I have to go to Warhammer because, quote, we're a Warhammer podcast disguised as a Battletech podcast. But uh, like, there is discrete editions for Warhammer and everyone can go to, you know, a book on the shelf and say, this is the current, like, hold it up high. This is what I'm playing. And everyone else in the store holds up their exact same book. But for Battletech, it's like, okay, what year are you playing? Like, it's much more historical focused in that regard. Like, what era are you playing? Because different rules apply in different pieces of the timeline. And you could have something different in like a six month period if you're like, have to specify the date of when you are playing on the tabletop. Well, I think in my example, there was some where like some of the modifiers have changed. There's different like AC 10 rules have changed when they were <laughs> yeah. first introduced. And no, it's it's kind of like your Word of Blake cultists come out and say and hold up like their version of the rule book. And you've <laughs> got to pull out your scroll and open it and say that was correct until 1994 when the high priest of FASA determined that, <laughs> that is now a plus two, not a plus one. And like, then you could all sit around and like argue about it. I think the most common one that I see and hear people talk about is in the early editions, uh, partial cover. If you had your half of your mech was behind cover and half of it was, you know, above it exposed. If you shot at that mech, instead of, you know, having a chance to hit, you know, your legs, your bottom half of you and it, the bullet just, you know, hitting the ground and doing nothing. No, no, you're now only rolling to see if you hit the top half of me with the same chance of hitting my full body. So you, there's now a one in six chance of hitting your head. <laughs> so, so getting behind cover was deadlier than standing outside of cover. And of course that rule has to change. So now there's a 50% chance of it hitting the ground and then the rest of you. So that, that's, that's probably the most common. Okay. What, what year did you start playing and which rule do you follow for this? Well, I, I think for me, I, I re- when I moved out here, I'd never run into an Alpha Strike community. And uh, so there's some guys introduced me to Alpha Strike and I really loved it, but there's this one rule. Oh, it's a glancing hit. And one time I took my Alpha Strike rule book on an airplane and said, you know, I'm going to read this thing cover to cover. (laughs) I could not find that modifier 
or that rule anywhere in that book. And it's like, how, how do I bring this up? <laughs> that, that is one thing, just like, I want to say like Battletech players form like little conclaves out in the wasteland. And when you play the same edition for 25 plus years, there's like one person will introduce like a homebrew or a modified rule for like a special game. And it'll just kind of carry through. And over the years, it's just like words become ink in a imaginary rule book. And they're like, oh yeah, no, it's page 74, the glancing shot. You know, everyone knows it. <laughs> well, you know what? Somewhere in there, there's a uh, PhD thesis in uh, sociocultural anthropology, <laughs> studying, studying the evolution of Battletech communities in the wild. Oh. <laughs> so that that brings me to like why I wanted to on here is because I could imagine, uh, I think a lot of ways people have gotten introduced to Battletech is through the Kickstarter and the new shiny box, which is up there kind of off camera so i've got i got them on that show oh there we go the listeners can't see all next all the war warhammer boxes <laughs> but, but so that, that's the idea you go into a barnes and noble now and you can find a battletech starter box and a battletech beginner box and that's most people's entree into the game so um how will we start with this is that a good entree I want to say yes. If I was just starting today, I would either just go into the Barnes and Noble and pick up anything I saw and see how I could use it. But I'd also try to lean towards the game of armored combat, which hopefully is in, in stock. Like, I know Barnes and Noble probably carries it. The question is, is it in stock? Because it's constantly flying off shelves. Um, but yeah, so that a game of armored combat pretty much gives you everything you need to get mechs on the table, gets you maps, gets you rules, gets you dice. There's nothing else you need out of that to start playing. And I actually waited to get into Battletech until that box came out just because I knew like they had teased it, you know, get eight mechs, get everything you need. I was like, I really want to get into Battletech. And I waited like more than a year for it, for that specific box. You know, I, I think I waited for that box to come out too before I re-engaged. Because mm-hmm. I wanted a baseline. Yes. A book. I was like, okay, I, I bought this box. I'm taking out this book. I'm not going to use any of my 25-year-old books or anything. So <laughs> let's open this one up. But, you know, when I started flipping through it, you know, you can't help but notice like, gosh, where's my jump infantry and my battle armor? Uh, <laughs> so the, the box itself um, doesn't have all the rules that exist in the Battletech universe. And when you go to like Catalyst Games uh, website and you start looking at the rule books, that's when it gets really confusing. Oh gosh. Uh, like, yeah. Which ones <laughs> should I buy? Um, so let's say, let's use the example that you've bought the beginner box. What's the next thing you think you should buy? If we are talking about today, yeah, let, I would probably yeah, let, just say, I would probably go to the next box set, the clan invasion box set. And even if you don't like the clan mechs, like that rule book has the technology like in, in the same like paperback rule book inside of it for using all the like next era's technology. So you can use your the same mechs from the first starter box. They have different variants, different models that use the tech that's introduced in the clan invasion box set. Okay, so I think that's a good point to bring up um, to anyone who's listening doesn't know Battletech. There are eras in the game. So I know um, if they want more detail, they have your podcast where you've started covering the eras. But could you give us a quick overview of the eras? Because like we said, the the box you find in Barnes & Noble is 3025. Mm-hmm. And that's like the year the game takes place. Like the game launched, even back in like the 80s. That was the yeah. year it launched. And then what was it? 3050 is when the clans... Yep. Came so, in. oh man. So, like, like I said, quiz yeah, you on, your, <laughs> on your lore. Oh, <laughs> uh, what is it? Uh, 2750 is like the prehistory, the golden age for Battletech in universe time. And that is the age of the Star League. And that's where all the technology was at its peak. And, you know, galactic order and peace reigned. But, you know, don't look behind the curtain because, you know, rebellion is <laughs> fires are starting. Uh, then you have like the Great Fall. And then in 3025, we 
it skips so much, skips 300 plus years. And now you're at the uh, succession wars and you're not starting at the first one or the second one. You start at the third one because everything's gone down the toilet, you know, two times and then someone's on it stepping down. Uh, but yeah, and that is the basic level of technology. It's the back in my day, we had two sticks and a rock and we had to share the rock levels. But that, so 3025 is, that's basically your base rules. And so what I've is, noticed about the eras is that as you move forward in time, they introduce more um, and different technology, like either the clans introduce it or it gets, Helm Memory Core gets rediscovered <laughs> or like uh, the, great, the great nation of House Davion with their forethought and wisdom have developed new technology. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a Davion player. So. There you go. I was, I was like, I can tell. <laughs> so they, but the, and I think that's always what confused me is because when you look at the eras um, and I actually, when I was very young back in the nineties, um, I got the mech warrior, like uh, RPG handbook and mm-hmm. they actually have like a very fleshed out history up to that point. And um, it took me like a day to like read through the history. Cause like that, 300 year jump like they explain everything that happens and <laughs> yeah they must have a like a group of monkeys in the basement with typewriters just grinding out more lore to fill it up because there's a lot more than just a game out there but the idea is to think of eras as kind of like introductions introductions of new rules yeah. so like 3025 is your basic the clans introduce something the civil war introduces something and so where before you'd have a rule book that had beginner rules, then intermediate rules and advanced rules for battle tech. It's just the progression of eras allows you to introduce more complexity. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very nice to not have to jump into the deep end of the pool rather than to like walk down the ladder and swim down it. And that's what, that's what battle tech eras really are. It's you kind of get a mastery of, a a rules chunk slash era and then you kind of move forward to the next one and the best part is you can still use all of the mechs from the last one and they either get upgrades or you just use the same the same original one because there's no no restriction on using older tech like there's nothing forcing you oh i have to use this thunderbolt from this year the, the mechs themselves are 200 plus years old like they are relics of war not everyone's upgrading them willy-nilly. <laughs> well, that, that's um, I do love that your, the catch is from your podcast. All things are possible through salvage. Yes, <laughs> because in if anyone wants to progress to campaigns, and that's been part of the BattleTech rules since the beginning. The idea that if you actually beat a mech up, like punch it in the face, as per the famous drawing in the book, <laughs> you can actually just like carry it away and say, "This is my mech now." Um, and you could sell it uh, or you can salvage the parts and add it to your Mac. So there, there's that possibility of being able to play around and customize these guys. Um, and I have to admit in high school, I used to sit on the back of my music class, not pay attention and design land air mechs oh, all day. <laughs> it's like, I need, I need some Indo steel. Uh, <laughs> he's gotta be, he's gotta be light. I need yeah, lots right. of extra heat sinks. <laughs> he's gotta be able to jump over. So but that that brings it is there a comprehensive rule book that covers every rule battletech ever made like, everything current would probably be total warfare and that covers you know i want to say 80 percent of everything and there's fringe cases of course that are spread throughout other rule books like but uh total warfare gets you a segment dedicated to battle mech combat, a segment dedicated to vehicle combat, and then subsections for each kind of vehicle, um, orbital combat, you know, aerospace, infantry. I got there's there's too many. I have to like literally look at my book right now to see how many sections. Uh, refitting and upgrading, like that is the this gets you eighty percent of the way there, and ninety nine percent depending on which section. And that with that you can do almost anything so would you recommend for someone to buy um gosh, the the battle tech box from barnes and noble um go to a local store find the clan tech 
box. And if that's not enough, it's the next step's the total warfare book. If they want to dive head first in the deep end, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because I I could see getting impatient because the way it looks like they're doing is a box set for each era, which I love the idea. But (laughs) what, 10 years from now, they'll be able to cover all the eras in all the detail. (laughs) Um, Like I said, it... I almost always say find someone who's been in it in the game BattleTech a while, see you know what they do, play with them, take your like starter set, your a game of Garbon Combat, play until you find what you like, and then you can kind of point to see what you want. Like, okay, are you happy with those eight mechs like that come in that starter set? And you're like, I don't really want to do any more mech combat. I want to do tanks and infantry. Cool, go get skip the clan invasion box set because there's nothing infantry or vehicle related in there really and just go straight to total warfare and then buy mechs or print them or whatever relatively miniature agnostic and run your armored company up the field and say mechs are cool but i want to do tanks and tanks and troopers okay well getting back to the base box set so it has eight mechs in it so technically that's um, two lances so it's four yeah. mechs each side so that's actually the full game right like um yeah. and how long would you say an average game of battle tech uh lasts at the oh, no. um, <laughs> lance on lance um i know the answer to this one but i know you, why don't you explain I know it too. why don't you break the bad news <laughs> to people explain oh, it to man. them do you like historical war games <laughs> do you like spending afternoons rolling dice do you like spending days rolling dice? Uh, yeah, the average game of even just introductory technology, basic intro, basic starter box battle tech can take two plus to four hours, depending on how complex you're running everything and how well you know the rules interactions. All right. So, and that that's if you know the rules well, not just the learning game. I think my record now is an hour and 45 minutes for uh, like the most basic level four on four. You know, I, I have to say Battletech is one of the few games out of the 80s to have survived pretty much intact to the present. Um, and the way I like to describe it pe- to people is it is the baseball of the tabletop war games. Because, oh. you know, you have when you play this, don't have anywhere else you need to be because you might be hitting the 13th inning on this one <laughs> to go all the way. Because <laughs> mechs are tough. They take a lot of damage. Mechs are very tough. And everyone's like, oh, well, I got through your armor. No, you've, you've got the rest of the mech that you can hit. And then if you get through my armor and then to my structure, I still got a lo- almost the same amount of that. It's right there. Yeah, to, to get an internal ammo core explosion against the center of the mech that that takes some work <laughs> you're the guy you got to be real lucky or real good headshot yeah opening <laughs> round <laughs> my co-host prefers the through armor critical which is just you know that one in 36 chance and then uh need it eight up and then roll a specific ammo bin it's like yeah you, you're playing with numbers at that point man come on <laughs> Well, you know, I, I think this is a good time to bring into um, something that I've uh, really found interesting was Alpha Strike. Mm-hmm. So I always avoided Alpha Strike when it came out because um, it's like, well, I can't find anyone to play Battletech with me. I'm, I'm not going to find anyone to play an even more obscure rule set. <laughs> but since the uh, community around here, there's a proponent for Alpha Strike who lives nearby here. Mm-hmm. Um, he introduced me and said, hey, don't worry about it here's some cards, borrow some mechs, let's go ahead and play it. So normally the thought is, is like, you think of Battletech, well, that's only four mechs each side. Okay. And if you scale it up, the game just takes longer. But Alpha Strike is a trimmed down rule set to where you can add a bunch of mechs, but it actually plays faster. So it actually feels more like a skirmish game. Um, would you re- how, how would you recommend someone getting started into Alpha Strike? Yeah, so... Regular battle tech or classic battle tech, as some people call it, is very much like D&D combat futuristic simulation where you're counting ammo bins and how many arrows you have for your bow. That, that, that's classic battle tech. Alpha Strike 
Alpha Strike is the Warhammer kill team, you know, abstract, you know, bird's eye view of the entire army going against another force. But it's just, I don't want to say just as simple, but it definitely abstracts everything down to a much more manageable level. Like rather than have record sheets for mechs, you have, like you said, cards where things just have hit points. Which they put in the boxes, but they yes. don't really explain what those <laughs> are for. You have to recognize them like, oh, these are my Alpha Strike po- cards. Yeah. Um, yeah. And those cards, like you, you can just go to a master unit list and print them off for every mech. So they make it very accessible if you want to just play Alpha Strike, which is the fastest way to get mechs to the table rolling dice. And th- that game, I did an introductory game for that, and that took 30 minutes with two new players. So... It okay. is super approachable. It, depending on how far you move in the era slash tech level, it, of course, it adds more complexity. But if you're doing an equivalent introductory classic game versus Alpha Strike game, it's a quarter or a third of the time and, you know, complexity involved. And that, that you just buy the book. So we know with the box set, you get with all the new boxes, the Alpha Strike cards come included. So you can just what, go to the website, buy the book, get a PDF. Yeah, I mean, there's there's quick start rules on the Battletech website if you go to the downloads, and it's like the most basic version. It's it's I don't want to say outdated. There are a few rules interactions that don't work if you're playing versus the Alpha Strike companion rulebook versus the quick start Alpha Strike rules. But that's what me and my friend played the first three times we did it, and it was 90% comparable. All right. Now you made reference to something that um, I think for any new player um, is important to master unit list. So God, God knows how many mechs are actually <laughs> manufactured or ever put into production. Um, and there's what, seven variants per mech out there. Oh. And so you don't get all the record sheets or all, or all the cards, but there is a way to go about and getting those. And I think that's what master unit list is for, right? Master unit list, you can get all of the Alpha Strike cards off of. If you want the classic Battletech stuff, then you have to go and either buy the record sheets, you know, booklets, and then photocopy them or laminate them or get a third party program and then load up the mech variant you want and then print that out like a pirate. But it. <laughs> There's no good place to get everything all at once. That's, that's a, I want to say a small issue. Well, I think in one of your podcasts, I think uh, you and your compatriots were discussing like what force builder lists they used and where they went to do all that stuff to like, you know, list hammer the mm-hmm. battle tech problems. Um, I, I'm that. the worst at that. I, I, I will Google that specific mech, whether that entry is from 10 or 20 years ago, look to see how many points it is, get out a second calculator, type that in. I, I do it the wrong, inefficient way, but then I know exactly what I'm taking. <laughs> so that that's actually a thing that's changed uh, from the game. So when I started, it was all tonnage. So yes. mechs had tonnages, and the way you balanced your forces between players were like, okay, here's my assault mech, my heavy mech, my uh, light mech. But now they have battle values right that's Mm -hmm. that's the way you balance games is through those bvs so once you break out of the core box and you start buying some of these other boxes like uh intersphere direct fire lance or something like that that's when you actually start having to pay attention to the uh battle value the points of your mech so that you and a partner can um make sure you're playing fair games here yeah uh not all mechs are created equal and some are created more equal than others (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what is it you or one of uh your co-hosts there has a love affair with the the hatchet that yeah that would be kurt my uh, okay. one of my co-hosts yeah yes and i think that's a from some of his discussion that's an excellent example of um there are numerous variants to every model of mech put out there um so that that brings up the the idea of um customizing your mech Mm-hmm. So there's always been rules to customize your mech, but there's not actually going to be the parts 
and not everyone is a sculptor. Um, so do you customize your mechs and how do you go about doing that? Yeah. So if you get the, a game of armor combat, there is actually like a dedicated section in that little paper rule book in the starter set that tells you how to like, okay, you first pick uh, what tonnage and how fast it wants to go. And then you do the math and that gives you the engine size and how much weight that takes. So the rule book actually tells you exactly how to, of course, that's doing it the long, hard way to, but I mean, that, that builds character as my <laughs> co-host says, we all have to do it the hard way first, but uh, I, I, I prefer to use like the third party programs, like either mega mech or Solaris skunk works or, there, there's dozens of others that have creeped up in the last 30 years. Some you can still find on flash or not flash drive floppy disks from like the actual company who was like, Oh, you want to build your Mac? This is the same program we use. And you send your nickel in in the serial box post thing, essentially. Oh, okay. So th this is going to be an age related question. Cause I've had this discussion with my brother. who's much younger than I am. What do you consider to be a floppy disk? Oh gosh. What's what the, What's what the size? The yeah, three what, and a what, half? Yeah. Oh, geez. I know. Oh. I know. So the five and a quarters is what I grew <laughs> up calling a floppy disk. And the three and a half, we just call three and a half. Oh. And then one day he came and said, oh, I've got a floppy. And he held up a three and a half. So do you see it flopping around? <laughs> <laughs> no. It's <so> rigid. <laughs> yeah. See, it's, it's not a floppy disk. <laughs> but, okay. Um, so that. But do you actually like, um, all right, here, I'll hold up one I, I took out. So do you take like something like this and hack off its arm and put a different arm onto it to like model that on the field? There are two kinds of battle deck players. There are the, I'm just using that as a stand-in and they won't do any modifications to the, either the metal or the lead or the plastic miniature or the other and they'll just like customize the actual rules associated with it and it's essentially a proxy for their variant and then you have the other player which is like no no i've made the mech paper wise and this is what it has and now i have to make the miniature exactly match it and that's what my co-host kurt is like he's like getting teeny tiny what is it like dowel rods like i don't not even uh it's like 132nd size and he's cutting off like millimeters to glue on where lasers should be and the most i do is like okay i'm taking this missile launcher arm off and putting a laser arm from like a tank and i'll cut the turret off and glue it directly to it like good enough for me <laughs> well you don't sit there and say that's not a laser that's a autocannon yeah. well it doesn't look like one well that's just what autocannons look like that's... right <laughs> <laughs> but but that's what's great about battletech is you can go any way of any level of that customization and it's it's legal because the miniatures aren't there's no miniature for every variant like there, there's just not even for the popular mechs so you can do exactly how much you want to like into the level of character of that mech okay uh so what what are your thoughts so catalyst games has been putting out the plastic mechs mm -hmm. and i love them and uh, you were talking, I think, before about being rough on your mechs since you're mobile there. And I mean, mm -hmm. these ones you can like throw, like, <laughs> yeah, drop on the ground. Um, if I did that with my lead ones, like the booster packs and the Phoenix Hawk would detach and I'd have to glue them back on. So once you've bought all the new soft plastic ones out there, uh, the next stop is Iron Wind Metals. Um, what, what are your thoughts on... Um, you know, wanting to expand your collection with um, IWM. Yeah. So if you want to expand past like the starter sets and the plastic mechs that have came out in the Kickstarter, there really is only one official manufacturer and that's Ironwind Metals. And they have the rights for all metal miniatures for Battletech. And they have a whole bunch of tanks, a whole bunch of mechs, aerospace, dropships, inventory, literally the rest of the universe combat wise. And some mechs, of course, are great. <laughs> some have not aged gracefully. Some got beat by the ugly stick in 1987, and that's still the official miniature. And if you like that mech, like on the in the lore or on the table-wise, you either have to suck it up and use that, or you can, you know, 
3D print it, find someone's version that they made because they also didn't like that one. I mean, ba- Battletech players are thankfully pretty miniature agnostic. Like, I've never had anyone come in and say, this is my custom champion. They glued, you know, several pieces from other mechs and it looks like a champion. And you're like, no, it looks better than the, than the official one. I'm, I'm happy. You're happy. Everyone's happy. So I think that's a debate uh, the friendly local store owner has had with a couple of the Battletech players about the 3D printed files. Mm-hmm. And he views it as, you know, the way Games Workshop views it as an attack upon the company um, and the company's not going to make any money. But as you said, there are variants out there. So if I went on to like Thingiverse mm-hmm. and downloaded um, a mech and printed it out, would anyone in the Battletech community, you know, have a problem with me fielding that? Would anyone in the Battletech community oh, I mean, have problems? Of course. Some people are going to be a little bit more grognardy slash, you know, sticklers for that's not the official model and I don't want to play you, but locally so there, there I haven't are... had any any issues. Like people are just happy to play Battletech because, you know, <laughs> they're like, oh, you came out of your out of your basement from 1984. I'm, I'm happy to play you too. But uh <laughs> I have I have some 3D printed models. Like, yes, it is like the hot controversy going through all wargaming right now is like, what is the ethics and legality of playing with 3D printed models? And every there's no truly correct answer. For me, I have 3D printed ones that either there officially is not a model, like it's a mech that was only used in one story or here or there, and they did not they no company has made physical model for it and one fan made a 3d printed one and of course i paid him and printed it out there's other ones that have models and like i said are 20 years old you're like that that is no longer in scale or doesn't like doesn't match the aesthetic of the rest of the plastic that just came out in the last year and i'll i'll buy a 3d printed one like not a recast but someone's spent time to like redesign what is close to aesthetically what it should be and i'm happy i am perfectly happy to buy the new miniature of that same mech when it comes out like it's just not there because they're slowly working through a backlog of hundreds and hundreds of miniatures that are all you know uniquely different it's not just space marine number one space marine number two it's no no it's space marine versus orc versus you know single sister battle like it's very different so they're working through it and I'm happy to get official miniatures as they come out and match the current theme. Now, from listening to your podcast, you actually have some sponsors for your um, podcast Um, and they actually create some Battletech adjacent products out there. And I think if you go into any Kickstarter or Thingiverse or any like 3D printing files out there, there are... um, Battletech adjacent products out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what are what are your sponsors, and what how do they add to the uh, Battletech marketplace? So, my sponsors are Fortress Miniatures and Games and Ares Games and Miniatures, and those are I want to say like the two biggest like online Battletech retailers right now. And both of them have like their individual like I don't want to say official, but their preferred. 3d printed redesigning mechs that okay if you want you know a hollander or bushwhacker but you don't like the miniature because it's you know like i said 20 years old they've taken the time to build those up and those stores are like hey this is our version of it so if you're just playing like a friendly game that not in an official not in an official catalyst slash battletech sponsored event there's no reason to like have to use an a model that you don't like looking at. So here is our version. Okay. And there, so there's no uh, IP lawsuits. Oh, the, uh, I mean, there's IP court. lawsuits every day in miniature war gaming. Me and you both know that. Um, I think, but, but I think catalyst is currently like, yeah, we know there's a problem. So we're working to fix it because the best way to defeat private, pi- the best way to defeat pirating is not to you know 
punish the pirates, but to make a better product. And it's obvious that people want official, good-looking plastic miniatures that are from the manufacturer. I mean, the Kickstarter was what like the tenth most successful of its time. Oh yeah, I I remember the the day that Kickstarter came out, and I just watched it because my store owner was very excited about it. Like I said, he bought a ton of the merchant packs and just to see the number, because the goal was originally 50,000. Yeah. It was <laughs> looking back. It was stupidly low. <laughs> yeah. Cause where did it cap off? Like the first 48 hours, it was like, well, the first day it was over a million. Ugh. And um, I think what they eventually top out at 3.5 million. Oh, well, and even it? once they satisfied the Kickstarter, they can't make enough. 2.5 million. 2. Oh, yeah, that's you know, so I'll I'll be honest. So that once I saw it hit a million, I didn't back it because I thought, you know, from a corporate point of view, just absorb if you were planning on fifty thousand and someone throws two point five million in, <laughs> do you have the capacity to absorb two point five million? And then forget like the pandemic hitting partway through. Um your supply chain, but it's just oh. like, you know, I just went to the store owner and said, you know what? Um, I'll just buy it from you. <laughs> get, get one of everything <laughs> and I'll, I'll just get it from you. Cause I don't know when this is actually going to show up. Yeah, no, I think everyone was just so happy that Battletech was like, okay, it's, it's both healthy enough that they want to do a Kickstarter and they're seeing the numbers was kind of like one of those reinforcing things like like Battletech players. Like I said, they're pretty in their little enclaves playing in their little eras and seeing the numbers just skyrocket. There was like, wait, there's Battletech players other than me who are backing this? And it, it was just like a, an adrenaline shot right to the heart of the hobby, seeing it go. And I think everyone knows Catalyst like, <laughs> was overwhelmed. Like, we're going to ask for this. And after a while, they stopped. Like, we can't add anything physical. Like, we can't commit any more, what is it, tears or anything. Like, anything we add won't be worth it, or we can't confirm we could even do it because we're just so out of our league. Well, I, I think um, what some of the top tiers was uh, what, 10,000, and they'd make add you to canon. Yeah. Make you part was, of the lore. Uh, I know if my, if the local store owner, if he hadn't been married, um, there would be a large red bearded man in Battletech lore right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, canon character, free copies of all books and everything. But like the top tier, the full Kerensky was insane. Um, and they would even fly you out for like a yeah, three day tour, excursion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there, there were people that backed that. Like there are people that wanted Battletech to succeed that much. I mean, yeah. I, I was I was nowhere near that. I was like, let's let's stay in reasonable because I think this was like just at the start of the pandemic. So I was like, I don't know what uh what's gonna happen in the next year or two, you know. But uh, so well, let me let me ask your thoughts on terrain. So, do you see a place for terrain in games of BattleTech and or Alpha Strike? Oh man, so. Battletech, like classic Battletech is just a hex sheet. Like it's a flat piece of paper, 16 by 17 hexes. And it, it fits on like a lunch table. Like you can play it looking at someone and all the terrain is abstracted on the sheet itself. If you're going 3D terrain, well, that's like the one of the big things right now is people are 3D printing their own like mountains and hills and trees to represent what's on the sheets and bring it up. For classic Battletech, I'm kind of in the middle ground. Like, it's not necessary because sometimes it can kind of get in the way. Like, a lot of the rules interactions are you have to be in something or on top of it or behind it. So if there's a lot of, like, levels and height differences, like, the game's not aesthetically designed to interact with it as well. But it looks great. And, of course, it draws people over, which is kind of like the other side of the coin. But yeah, it, it looks great to have mechs fighting on top of painted, flocked hills and, you know, shooting through gaps in trees. Like, that's beautiful. Um, for Alva Strike, you almost need it. But you can also play, you know, with the 
whatever's in the pantry for cover. Like everyone's played with a cereal box to be a hill and the, the can of soup as the, the silos <laughs> or the, the garage hammer style. But I think when I think in the eighties, I used to actually just make the terrain out of cardboard since it fit <laughs> on the hex. I'd like cut out a little hex and like mm-hmm. you're a tiny Quonset hut because what do you have to do? Just bend some cardboard, Quonset <laughs> yeah. hut, <You're> like <laughs> some toothpicks. It's a turret now. Oh man! But yeah, uh, BattleTech definitely is improved by good terrain. I, the rules for classic just aren't there to fully like because if you try to play true line of sight, it doesn't always work like you have to like okay i can not see you in in real life like on the table through my you know 3d printed levels like my mech is three inches above yours and all those rules interactions but rules wise it might say no you can't see me or or, yes you can you know that that is the rule i was thinking of because even when you open the starter box there's (laughs) rules about a mech on elevation and you're a mech on a lower elevation, but you're standing close to a forest. And it's like, if you're within like three hexes to the forest, then it actually becomes like obscuring terrain. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're far enough away from the forest, then it's just like light cover because they, they're trying to capture that idea of like, it's a two dimensional space that you're abstracting, but it's actually something in three dimensions that you're trying to actually play. So there's like actual little level numbers written on there. And yeah. so there's some of those rules there. It's like, well, I can see you. You're right there. Like, well, no, the trees are blocking your view. You just have to imagine. <laughs> when I, when I play with newer players, I always say there's two rules for when you're playing with 3d terrain. And when you're playing just on the sheets and that's, the Obi-Wan Kenobi rule, and that's just the high ground. If you have the high ground, you're almost always going to get the advantage. And the adjacency rule, which is if you're touching something, like if you're not in it, but you're touching it, you get whatever that bonus is if it's in you know the line of sight. So high ground rules and adjacency, that's, that solves 95% of all, uh, all height level interactions. <laughs> Maybe I should have gotten Kurt for this episode. That way he could explain there's two ways to do this, the right way and the wrong way. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, so you don't need terrain. So I I will say that with the Battletech starter box, it is probably the only game that Barnes & Noble sells to where you could go up, go buy the game, go to the cafe, crack the box open, and it would actually fit on the tiny little tables that they have there. (laughs) And you could actually start playing the game right away. But um, I think for anyone getting into this, there's the idea of how do I paint my mechs? And I think um, since I've gotten big into Alpha Strike, I've uh, gone about and decided, you know, I'll paint a company of mechs for each of the five households. So, oh man. Up, right, <laughs> right now I've got my um, 24th Lyran Guards there. Oh man, look at that guy. Yeah. So I've got first Royal Armored Cav for House Davion and first Sword of Light. And so I'm starting my Lyran Guards here, but um, get them ready for the Civil War. Now, how would you advise someone to go about like painting their mechs um, if they want to say, you know what, I, I want to be part of the Battletech lore, but I'm just getting into this. And when I look how to paint my mechs, it, it's just a complete mess out there. How, how do you go and advise people for how to join into the storyline? Oh, man. I mean, it is a mess because you have 30 plus years of factions and art that, you know, some of it's just black and white just because that's how it was. And they had to write <laughs> what the colors were in the, you know, the footnote. But my initial response is always just pick a scheme or a color you like. Like if you really just want to paint blue, just paint the mechs blue and they're your, they're your own in-universe, you know, mercenary company. Like there's no nobody getting ready to beat you with baseball bats in the back alley. If you're like, that mech isn't in the right, you know, they were never painted. There's, there's none of that. If you are looking for more like an in-universe one, uh, Camo Specs Online is like the official website for all of the factions and all of the sub-factions and what paint schemes they use. And that's great. Uh, Unit color compendium is like the fan one that's kind of been slowly integrating into a more official capacity. 
And that's uh, digital art that's been, whether from video games or everything, and someone's like recolorized it to match in more. And that's a great way to just scroll through. Like you can click on your faction, literally just scroll for minutes and like, okay, this is every unit from and every scheme from that that one mech and just going down. So you you can see like at a glance, okay, well, this faction I like has a scheme I like too. So I'm going to do that. Yeah, I think some of the uh, paint schemes I've seen where they use the um, digital camo, mm-hmm. it's like, no, I think I'll take a hard pass on that one. <laughs> why don't I just go half blue, half white? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's, that, oh, I was just going to say, and that's the thing, like most pe- Battletech players are just happy to see battle mechs with paint on them because if they don't have paint on them by now and they're like the original 1980s uh lead models it's like come on man like just get something on there like there's no wrong answer by now <laughs> well i think that's always funny when you talk about the physics of battle tech and uh first of all you have to get over the fact the mech's not sinking into the ground <laughs> because it is a two-story 100 ton beast the second part the idea of having a scouting recon mech it's a two-story thing running through the forest bright red <laughs> and it's supposed to be hidden it's like no one has infrared cameras i mean uh-huh. that you know it's 3025 we've forgotten how to do infrared but you, you just got to get past some of those little things they sprayed a what is it a transparent coating of you know em reflective paint <laughs> Is that it? <laughs> I mean, whatever, whatever works, man. I mean, science. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> science. science. <laughs> the red paint actually disperses more EM signature. <laughs> it makes it more hidden yeah. and faster. <laughs> oh. Three times faster, sir. Three times. <laughs> All right. Um, so I think that answers a lot of the questions I had for this for, you know, someone looking to get into the game so if they wanted to find you on the, um the, in, the interwebs or inside the metaverse um <laughs> how would they go about finding uh any of your shows or your social media platforms oh man so you can find us on like any of your regular podcast uh, radio stations uh we're just the mech bay podcast and if you see a you know big old yellow thing with a wrench that's us and we'll be talking about whatever we can Battletech wise, like I said, we're going through slowly semi chronologically, but also breaking it up with like, okay, this works at any point. So we're going to talk about how inventory works now. So um, we're on Facebook at the Mech Bay Podcast. You can email us at the Mech Bay Podcast at gmail.com. Um, like anywhere you can find Battletech people, they can kind of point you in the direction. And if you normally find any of us, you can, if, heck, if you just go to, us on your podcast in the description notes there's a link to our discord and we are happy every day almost 24 7 to answer any of your battle tech questions like people are trying to dig through 30 year old robots there's someone on the discord that's just ready to like no no use the adjacency rule i'm just picturing comic book guy from the simpsons i mean it's kind of like that i mean (laughs) worst tro ever (laughs) (laughs) but no we're always happy to talk with fans um talk with other just battletech listeners who are just getting into the game because right now we are just seeing such an influx of people wanting to try out battletech and not knowing where to kind of start out with so we are we love kind of pointing them in direction and seeing them take their first steps and them go off into the world all right outstanding so before we wrap this up, is there anything else you want to add? Any plug for your sponsors? Anything you think you forgot to bring up? Oh, or like, man. um, you, I've heard you put out a call that if you want to play Battletech and someone's in your geographical region or if any tournament's coming up where they can find you. Yeah, so I, I will say that's one big thing is when I started this podcast, like I kind of wanted to know more where like the official like semi-competitive events were to go to and... I was really lucky this year that uh, Fortress Games and Miniature is one of my sponsors. And we knew them before they even became a store. They put on a big, like, 36-man, you know, two-day event for Battletech. And that, that was an absolute blast. And I was like, okay, now I want to start spreading that around. And 
if you just like I said, find the MacBay podcast on whatever you whatever host you listen to podcasts. Every every episode in the description, there's a link to the Battletech calendar, and that's like a personal pet project. And every time I see an event on like the Facebook or forums or wherever I can see it, I'm gonna throw it on there so people know where big travel worthy events are happening. All right, excellent. And then they'll find you there. And wherever there's Battletech, you'll be there. Yeah, <laughs> oh man, I don't want to say I'm a. I'll travel for Battletech, but uh, I, I threw dust my co-host Dustin in the car. And it's like we're playing Battletech, and he's like, "We have to stay in a hotel." And I was like, "We're playing Battletech, Dustin. There's no option." But, have Griffin will travel. Yes, it's very much that. Okay. Well, Josh, thanks so much for uh, joining us on this episode, and for anyone listening out there, if you're uh, more uh, interested in Battletech. Um, go check out the MechBay podcast, specifically the first six episodes. A lot of the stuff that Josh covered here, um, he goes into a lot more detail on those first six. So if you, it cleared up a lot of questions I had, and I had at least been familiar with BattleTech before Josh was born, and uh, <laughs> oh, he's advanced quickly. Yeah, <laughs> like I said, my my mexodometer has a lot of miles on it. That, I'll put it that way. Okay. <laughs> Well, you found an older Battletech player and then uh, challenged him and then yes. took his mech once you defeated him. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for joining us on Miniature Wargaming Labs. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>